said to Ruth, my daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here's our kinsman Boaz, with whose younger woman you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me, I will do. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And they came together. The Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and made his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom, and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They called named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. The word of the Lord.
nor was it to offer himself again and again, as the high priest enters a holy place year after year, blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once, but after that judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are really waiting for it. The word of the Lord.
They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich, rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Gospel of the Lord. Who wrote what? Who was the intended audience? 
particular piece of writing included in the canon and others not. So this study, this critical work, is not the work only of scholars, but really it's for all people who take the Bible seriously. We do some of this on Wednesday mornings in our Bible study at 11 o'clock. And some of you, of course, have, have gone through EFM, which is a much more in-depth study of the Bible. And we as a community will be taking up the Gospel of Luke in a couple of weeks as we enter the new lectionary cycle at the beginning of Advent. The third stage, incorporating the first two, is to read the Bible, as he says, spiritually. Asking yourself the question, how is this story, how are these words part of me? Where am I in this story, and where is it in me? Cox says that sort of the old style of thinking, let's look at the Bible as what it meant then, and what it means now doesn't really work. There is no separation. Because we cannot be objective or detached readers and listeners. Whether we like it or not, we all go to the Bible looking for something. And who we are and what our circumstances in life are affects what we see, what we hear, and how we hear it. We bring our own individual hopes and our own individual pain to the texts when we draw near to them, listening for God's word. So with those three things in mind, let's look at the passage from Hebrews. Often called a letter, but it's not. It's actually a sermon. The preacher and I'm going to call her she, um, says right in the, in the thing that it's an exhortation to an early church community. We don't know who they were. We don't know who the writer was. But we do know that it probably was not Paul. We don't know much at all about who the preacher was and who was listening. But what we can glean from reading the sermon in its entirety is that the congregation to which she preaches is tired, exhausted even, and perhaps having a hard time holding on to their faith. Apparently, this is not a 21st century secular world problem, but it has been a challenge for churches since the very beginning. The preacher is reminding them again of the story of God's story of salvation through Jesus Christ. Here's something I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. This is right from the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. She says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. She goes on and on to describe who Jesus is. And then, at the beginning of the second verse, she says, Therefore we must pay greater attention to what we have heard, 
so that we do not drift away from it. That sounds like pretty contemporary language. The sermon is long and theologically dense with lots of biblical references. When I told someone this week that I was probably going to preach on the Hebrews and that it probably is a sermon, not a letter, she said, why don't you just read the original sermon? It's got to be better than anything you can come up with. <laughs> and that's true. But I'm not sure you'd sit still through the whole thing. But it occurred to me that it might be fun if anyone is actually interested in looking the whole thing together. Let me know, because it's not that long. Um, but it, it reads... Uh, some of the commentators say one of the reasons they know it's not a letter is that it, it's structured exactly the way um, rabbinical sermons were given in synagogues. It's, it's a sermon with a little bit of letter stuff tacked on at the end. So anyway, our passage for today. What jumps out? For me, two things. Maybe different for you. But this idea of Christ's bloody sacrifice is actually kind of offensive to our modern sensibilities, right? I mean, we may feel that we've just advanced culturally beyond such, those types of rituals. But think about all the ways that we sacrifice each other all the time. In families, sometimes we place blame on a family member for difficult situations. You are the inconsiderate one, the lazy one, the disruptive one. When in reality, no relationship, no family dynamic is the result of one person's behavior or personality. Someone came up to me after the 8 o'clock and said that he thinks of all the shooting victims recently as sacrifices to our love of violence. We can also name ways that we scapegoat whole groups of people instead of addressing larger systems, larger systemic issues of poverty, racism, pollution, and environmental degradation in our world. So this ancient practice of regular animal sacrifice by the high priest that's referred to in our passage today, that sacrifice to atone for human sin, actually kind of makes some sense when we think of the magnitude and regularity of human guilt and blame and sinning. Our contemporary sacrificial systems may appear more subtle, but are devastating nonetheless when we don't recognize them as such. The point of the Hebrews preacher, though, is that Christ's once and for all self-offering on the cross means we have a place to put all that guilt and blame and sin without continuing to sacrifice each other. Let's hear that again. The point of Christ's once and for all self-offering on the cross means we have a place to put our guilt and our blame and our sins without sacrificing each other. 
That's astounding news she proclaims to us. That Jesus is the once and for all atonement for sin. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. How would we be as people, as communities, as the church, if we really got this? If we really got that message? The early listeners also shared with us this human sense of guilt. Somehow that we are always being judged and that we will be ultimately judged after we die. Our preacher from Hebrews proclaims that in fact when Jesus returns, it won't be to deal with sin, for he has already taken care of that. But rather when he returns, it will be to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for him? In a few weeks, we will begin the season of Advent, a time of preparation for Christ. We love Advent. And we tend to focus on the birth of the baby because we love babies. And because we can get our heads around a baby, we know what a baby looks like. But Advent is actually primarily about the second coming. When Christ, who reigns in heaven, returns to greet those who are eagerly waiting for him. What does that eager waiting look like? You may be tired. Not so eager. Tired of waiting. Tired of waiting for all sorts of things. Struggling with illness or grief. Challenges at work or in your family relationships. Maybe today your faith is really strong. Or maybe today your faith is shaky, like those folks in the congregation back then. It's all part of church. It's all part of community. Eager waiting may not be in the cards for you for any number of reasons. The preacher to the Hebrews was realistic in her words to those tired and shaky folks who also may have been weary of waiting, perhaps even losing hope. She says, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison, as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured, as though you yourselves were being tortured. 
content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. I told her she was better. <laughs> May we be people of faith, people of hope. It's also from this very sermon in Hebrews we have those words, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. May we be faithfully engaged with our sacred stories, with these stories, with these words, telling them to our children and to one another, reading and studying them together, and bringing our whole selves and our life experiences to the texts, all with the goal of hearing a word from God for us, for now, as God has promised.
of goodwill among nations, for the well-being of all people. Today on Veterans Day, we pray for those who died in the First World War and in all the wars, honoring their service and praying for a world in which lasting peace is realized. Praying for justice. God for those in every generation in whom Christ has been honored. Pray that we may have grace to glorify Christ in our own day.
charged on, by charge cards. Um, into some for secluded expenses and other things. We have still some very wonderful things for sale, and they'll be right next to them when you're having coffee <laughs> in the parish hall. I want to thank everyone who contributed in any way possible for the fair. Donations, help to clean items up, put things out, selling the whole nine yards. We couldn't have done it without you. Thank you.
heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with angels and dark angels and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name.
name of this congregation I send you forth bearing these holy gifts, that those to whom you go may share with us in the communion of Christ's body and flesh. We who are many are one body, because we all share May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and the blessing of God Almighty.